it's your host Omar and welcome to the Curiosity Project. In today's episode on Conversations With, I'll be talking to Justin Morin of the Hidden Seas. We will be discussing who the Hidden Seas are, the scope of plastic waste in our oceans, and what companies like the Hidden Seas are and should be doing to tackle the problem. Thank you for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Omar, how are you, mate? Justin, how are you doing? Yeah, good. Really well. Fantastic, fantastic. I have to, before we before we kind of get into it, I have to apologise for two things. Number one, it sounds as though that my next-door neighbours decided to bloody demolish their house. Um, uh, so I don't know I don't, I don't know what they're up to. Uh, and the yeah. other thing, I apologise for this mess. I, again, I don't know what's going on there. Um, <laughs> I, just, I just looked at my hair. I did my hair this morning. It looks like I put too much product in there. It looks like a... Like a <laughs> Your Jordan Belfort's brother, what's going on? <laughs> the ugly brother. Exactly. No, no, not at all, not at all. How are you doing? I've, I've, I've heard, I've heard so much fabulous things about you from Rebecca, and you know, it's um, uh, it, it really, truly is a pleasure to to be able to jump on with you today. I have to say, thank you so much for making time. Yeah, no, appreciate it, mate. Very, very kind words. Um, yeah, she's a she's a star, and uh, I feel just as fortunate enough to be chatting with you. Um, you've got a fairly great series, and um, although although I've only listened to fifteen minutes of one of the podcasts, <laughs> I apologise for that. Um, it's good that you, you haven't killed any cats in the process. Oh yeah, no, no, no cats have died in the in the production of any of these episodes. But um, uh, sometimes some of our episodes are are so long and. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a bit of an inside um, uh, story. I don't think I've ever I don't think I've ever told this on air. Um, so some of our episodes can get quite long, and they can also get very exhausting. So I've recently started de- doing these episodes with guests. Right, uh, to, bringing guests on the show has been a very very big no no for, for for me for a while. Okay. Um, yeah, so uh, for the first year and a half of this of the podcast, we grew our audience with just myself and my co-host. Mm-hmm. And the entire journey was us learning about stuff as quickly as we possibly could, mm-hmm. which was really quite interesting. So like we Tim, did that for a while. Is that the Tim Ferriss model? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah, pretty much, pretty much. But what we were trying to do is, is whereas Tim Ferriss comes at a situation as... At a certain level already, yeah. um, we we come in at a point where we're at no level, um, okay. you know, and we also have very different personalities. Him being a bit more laid back, me being a bit more, let's call it detail oriented. Um, but um, I I like to call it um, suffering from some kind of neurosis. But um, <laughs> uh, let's call it detail oriented for the uh, for for a marketing approach. Um, so. We were doing this episode once, and uh, it was about the idea of insanity and psychopathy, and it was it was um, uh, it was interesting. By the end of it, um, we were sitting there looking at each other, and I I, I finished the record button, uh, so I, I I turned the guest bedroom in my house into a studio. So we were sitting there and uh, looking at each other for about thirty seconds, and it was about twelve o'clock at night, I think, because we record our episodes very late at night. Yeah. And normally we're really buzzed and we're we're full of energy and we were just looking at each other and he said, Omar, my spirit has died. Like I've just 
my 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 brain is completely effed. I'm completely finished. And and it's just this draining feeling. So we haven't killed any cats, but we have killed our spirit on a few occasions. So it's uh, <laughs> it's been very interesting. But um, but yeah, that's pretty much the story. But Justin, it would be it would be fascinating for like I've obviously done a lot of research. What you're doing and what you stand for with the hidden seas and all that sort of stuff. But for my audience who haven't had the chance to do that research, could you just let them know who you are uh, and what it is that you do? Yeah, yeah, obviously my name is Justin Moran. I'm the co-founder of um, um, a wine brand, um, The Hidden Sea. Um, when Richie and I started our journey, uh, we got into the wine industry with a fairly simple philosophy. Um, what, I think one of the things we've learned along the way is that the, the more simple the philosophy and the front end looks, the more detailed the back end looks. And although our philosophy is really simple, um, we wanted to develop a brand in the wine space which had a higher purpose than just great tasting wine and packaging. Um, and to be really frank, Omar, when we first started, we had no idea what it would look like where we are now. We started our journey February 2015 with a really clear strategy. We took on a facility on the Limestone Coast. Um, and although we had this um, higher purpose, dare I say, that we wanted to build in a brand, we just started with the mechanics and the mechanics were you know, contract processing, premium um, wine at scale, uh, and then a brand product. Now, brand products, the hidden sea. Uh, the brand was really came to life in 2015, um, but the purpose of the brand is really simple, was to, to save the seeds. Now, our messaging is quite, um, quite clear, and since we've got our messaging clear, we've seen quite remarkable growth. Um, in our brand, but saying that, we, we believe any business should ask themselves a series of questions. Um, what, what change are you seeking to make? Who's it for? And what promises um, you're making? And then all the, the things around that, what goal, um, you know, what's your movement about, values. Um, and if we go back to the beginning of the business, it, we, we always look at values, purpose, brand, um, um, goal, and then promise. But um, for the hidden seat, um, what change we're seeking to make? One mind, one mission to remove plastic from the world's ocean. And I'll, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about how we got to that, um, uh, why we're passionate about the ocean in a second. Who's it for? It's for socially conscious consumers. We make wine, as we always say, that matters for people that care. Um, and then the last part, what promise um, are you What promise are you making? And every time we sold one bottle of the Hidden Sea, we're removing 10 plastic bottles out of the ocean. Um, and our promise is really the driving message behind our brand because it's quantifiable, easy to understand. And when you pull back the onion skin uh, on, on, on why we're doing what we're doing, it's quite um, substantial um, to remove um, um, the bottles out of the ocean. We remove it via kilo. So one case, six bottles, equals one kilo of plastic out of the ocean. So for that one ki kilo of plastic, it costs eight euros to remove that. So what we're giving back is, um, and the tangible difference we're making on the ocean is very easy to understand, but it's you know, it's quite substantial. Um, so the story, um, just to kick flow on, uh, I hope this doesn't turn out to be um, <laughs> another one of those long podcasts, Omar, but um, I can talk a lot. So apologies if I uh, speak too much. But anyway, um, why I link to the ocean, where our vineyards lie today in the southern part of South Australia, it was once upon a time 
covered by the Great Southern Ocean. So our vineyards and our land and our purpose of agriculture has been connected to the, to the ocean since the beginning, basically, of time. A series of ice ages had happened. The ocean retreated, retreated leaving fossilised limestone, which just so happens to be great filtration uh, for vines. Um, but when the story gets really interesting, um, you will see a whale on our bottles, um, etched on our bottles, then under one of the vineyards where we source our fruit uh, and rat and bully, um, still today lies in a cave, an estimated 26 million year old fossilised whale. So it all ties back into the ocean, our name, our purpose. And then in addition to that, um, as I've got older in my life and, and, and as we all, as we go through the journey of life and you have kids and you, in, you know, both Richie and I, my business partner, my co-founder, we believe that our main legacy is to leave a better existence um, and not only personal, but also an environmental existence than the, than the, the generation that's about to inherit it. So hence our links to the environment together quite nicely. You know, it's really quite interesting kind of listening to your story. And I think when you're when you're talking about curiosity in any respect, uh, it's important to understand journeys um, that that's probably I would say like 75 percent of the interest of getting to the to the to your destination. And it's really fascinating, particularly through this podcast of learning about people's journeys. Now, one of one of the things that's clearly evident is that you're you're extreme. Yes, of course, you, you're 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 very kind of dedicated to producing a, a great product when it comes to uh, the wine business. But what's really quite interesting to me is this focus that you have on 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 on, on cleaning up plastic waste, on right. this kind of uh, reducing your environmental footprint in that respect. Um, but whenever I talk to people about this, I mean, I'm fairly young. I'm 25. I don't have any children. Um, but I do feel as though that my generation are becoming, since it's an inherited thing, uh, my generation of the younger millennials uh, feel this kind of um, this responsibility that we are now inheriting this mess, for lack of a better word, uh, you know, pardon the pun. But we're, we're inheriting this kind of plastic waste, this environmental waste, uh, this 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 mess. And we have to do something about it because we feel as though that there's not going to be this this kind of next generation to hand anything over to. What we hand over to them will essentially be what it's going to be. Uh, there's been speeches by, you know, um, uh, David Attenborough, by uh, Elon Musk as well. Elon Musk in the early two, in early 2015 uh, made a fantastic speech about how, you know, by uh, 2040, 2050, we're going to be looking at an irreversible situation here. So it's it's fairly fascinating to me in that respect. But the question that I was getting to, Justin, is you mentioned how having children gave you this new perspective. But what what do you feel as though looking back at, at your background, what was this defining moment where you thought, hang on a second, this is really bad. And any kind of business model that I decide to do in the future, it needs to be an integral part. Do you do you do you feel like that there was a particular moment? Yeah, I, I think, you know, I think like anything, nothing comes out fully formed. And when I um, coach uh, other entrepreneurs on my boards and I always say, just get going, you know, no ideas come out fully formed, get it going, get learning. It's like if you if you see a cooking show, don't worry about if you have all the right materials, just get into a market, start cooking. And guess what? You'll start to develop a real passion for it. So. I can't say I, I came out thinking, oh, we've got to, I've got to save the world. 
But the more we've learned, especially on the journey with when we started the wine business, and think about it, we're connected to the environment. We have an agricultural product. I know it looks fancy in a bottle and it's enjoyed, but if we destroy our environment, guess what? I have no income anymore. Um, and, you know, I've made jokes about that, you know, at the end of the day, I'm a farmer, which we own vineyards, we produce an agricultural product and people consume it, but we need to protect what we've got. And so I've always been conscious of that, more so when we got into the, the wine industry because of the food I consume, and I mentioned cooking, but I've always, from my parents, um, Rich and I both, um, he comes from a lot larger farm, but we both come from the country. We've both got a connection to the land. The way I was brought up with my mum taught me about food and where it comes from. And, you know, it was always in our, de- in our, in our language about understanding where our source comes from. I've never, you know, I say this, but um, I've never bought, you know, fish from a supermarket in my life, not once, ever. My mum's always like, and there's, talks, there's levels of sustainability in what you're going to do, but you should know... Mm be able to talk to someone who's the source of where your product's coming from if you can't get to the source. And I understand we all live busy lifestyles. So that's been in my DNA. But what I guess it was the visual um, transition of when I started traveling in my early 20s, now I'm 47, through Southeast Asia, obviously Aussies go to Thailand, Bali, these type of places. And the, the and I went to boarding school um, with a, um, a, 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 Thai, a Thai person who we're still friends today. And I spent a lot of time in and out of Thailand and watching the destruction of the environment, which I could see tangibly. People talk about global warming and, and all this time. And that, I believe in it all. I'm not a scientist. It's hard for me to get my head around it, nor do I have the time. But if I went to an area where there was no rubbish and plastic and pollution, and now there is plastic and rubbish and pollution, and I know that some part, some way, whatever the percentage is, I'm responsible for that. Well, I always knew I needed to be a part of the solution and not the problem. And the ocean where I've spent so much of my time, so is my business partner and, um, and a lot of us do coming from Australia, it's something we need to protect. And then when you start pulling back the onion skin, Aman, you realise how important the ocean is to the air we breathe, our food source, you know, um, community's health. So that's how it came about. It's an evolution. And just like, as I say, um, ocean health or environmental thing, it's, it's, a, it, it's a philosophy you buy into. And our business, from where we treat our vineyards to what we do with our profit, everything, things, everything matters. Our vineyards... Of sustainable, any inputs are usually organic on our vineyards. We're over ninety percent of our because we we do source fruit from other vineyards, so it's ninety percent organic. Our wineries uh, run on solar power. Will be carbon negative, not just neutral, but carbon negative early next year. That's because of the plastic we put out, and then a, a predominant amount of our profits. Now we're a for-profit business, Omar, but not in the expense of humanity. Our profits then go back to making a tangible difference. And, and that's the philosophy where we first started, where it might have been just in the vineyard, then just in the winery, then just about our packaging, then just about how we ship our product around, what the footprint of our, of our, of our moving the product around, and now to the point where, and this is the last 12 months, the final piece of what we do with our profits, which our consumers can buy into, but more importantly, easily understand the difference they're making by consuming one of our products. So I know it's a long way to answer your question, but it's really a philosophy that's, um, it's an infinite game. I don't think it ever, there's never an end line. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, it's 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 really quite interesting because I, I do think it has this cyclical kind of effect. Uh, you know, your parents believe it in a certain way and they teach you. And, you know, I was, I, I was talking to one of my guests who's also a, a good friend of mine, uh, Douglas Weber. Um, and, uh, you know, he was kind of talking about this whole idea. He, he makes very, very high end coffee grinders. Um, and he was kind of telling me about this idea of surrounding your children with nice stuff like not just expensive stuff but nice stuff to teach them the value of things to teach them how to look after stuff to show them that you know you you have to invest your money in nice stuff rather than disposable things you know the 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 rise of disposable plastics has really been the bane of 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 this planet for a for a while now in fact there was an interesting study that was conducted uh, I can't remember who it was. I think it was uh, a guy called Laurent, uh, who who runs a um, uh, an ocean cleaning service, um, and uh, they took sedimentary samples from the uh, ocean bed, and they found that there was a discernible point from 1940s onwards where you could now find micro deposits of plastics in the uh, ocean bed. Uh, and it was right at that 1940 point, which was the development of plastic, where you could start to find microplastics in the ocean, in the ocean, uh, in, in sedimentary samples from the ocean. So, you know, it's really, it's, it's really messed up. And you kind of mentioned, you know, ocean health um, and how that's important and how it's directly correlated to your business. I kind of see it on a bit more of a, and I'm sure you probably agree with me, but I see it more on a macro scale than that um so the way that i kind of see it is it's more like how do i kind of put this so i don't know if you saw a recent report that came out and there's there's an interesting report that's coming out soon um called um i think it's by dr eric spiel or Spiel, I can't, Van Spiel, something like that. Uh, very, very interesting. It's about the positioning of plastic waste in the ocean. Have you heard about this? No, I haven't heard about it. No. no. So it's coming out in 2022. I'll send you a link to it. Um, and it's, it's this really uh, in-depth report that's coming out about trying to understand where is all this plastic? Where is this 8 million tons of plastic being deposited in the ocean? Is it in these... Uh, have you have you seen pictures of these patches in in there's five of them in in, in the world? Uh, yes, and there's I these very. I think you're referring to which has been completed. I think you're referring to the Great Ocean Cleanup guys. So um, the stat is they've done they spent the last eighteen months doing the doing the research to see where the plastics come from and hitting our oceans. So there's some good news. Um, there's a thousand rivers that contribute right. 80% of the plastic pollution into the ocean. So a thousand rivers. So a thousand rivers sounds like a lot, but that's less than 1% of all the world's rivers. So to stop ocean plastic pollution, we need to stop those riverways. And there's two organizations who are tackling that, I believe, um, well, at the highest standard because they're certified the highest standard. The Ocean Cleanup Guys, which are out in the Netherlands, and the Danish guys, which is the Reseed Project, who we contribute our funds to. Um, but it, it's a really fascinating study, and I think that's what you're referring to. I can't remember the person that did it, but the organisation who commissioned it was the Ocean Cleanup guys. And I can send you a link to it because it's quite fascinating. 
They've hotspotted all the um, rivers around the world. Um, and there's a thousand rivers. If we stop those thousand rivers of, of pollution, now there's a whole lot of reasons why that's, um, those rivers are polluting. There's economic reasons, there's social reasons, but if we can plug that, we'll go a long way to protecting uh, the ocean because as, as you, you may have read um, in the literature, by 2050, there'll, there'll be more fish, there'll be more plastic than fish in the ocean, which I can't even begin to imagine. But to put that story into some perspective, when we spent time around Indonesia and Bali, when you speak to these fishermen, where they're, genera they're generational fishermen, but now they work for companies like the Ocean Cleanup Guys and the Resea Project, and even four oceans for that, that matter, but the Resea Guys I've spoken to, the reason why they're collecting plastic, Omar, there is no fish anymore. The reason why they're collecting me. plastic, there's no fish anymore. And it's Jesus. the generational fishermen. So, and, you know, um, countries like the UK, Australia, America, it was, they're sending their plastic waste to Indonesia, Thailand, Vietnam, um, used to be, um, used to be China. And this, a lot of this plastic's ending up in our ocean and the fishermen are pulling it out. Uh, and and, and I'm, I'm glad to say the social uh, impact of what companies like the Resea Project are doing, they're paying this, in, in, these fishermen 190% uh, more than what the United Nations request them to be paid. So they're well paid people. They've got a life, they can spend their kids to school. They've got employment, which is great. However, what they're doing um, compared to what they should be doing is, is, is so alarming. And when you get there and see it with your own eyes and to your point, the garbage, the, the Pacific garbage patches, but even the islands of garbage, you can walk along and if you go through to some of our videos, there's footage of us and the Resea Project walking along islands of plastic, which, which look like, they look like land, but it's actual plastic islands. Um, I mean, it's 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 shocking, and like I think one of the most interesting things that I I learned about recently is, so I think when I think most people understand that there is a there's a shit ton of plastic out there, right? And it's 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 all you know decades and decades old. I think they they recently pulled out samples from the uh, Great Pacific Garbage Patch, um, uh, that the majority of the stuff was between 1972 and 1984 or something like that. Uh, you know, very, very old stuff. Uh, that just doesn't seem to want to degrade or sink. It's very interesting. Um, but, you know, they th this stuff is there for many, many years. And this whole example of, like, there will be more more plastic than fish is quite interesting because there was a, there was a, a, a recent study that came out, I think about a year ago, to show that pretty much every single um, uh, organism living in the ocean right now has got um uh, uh elements of of microplastic in their in their in their in their bodies so obviously yeah, you know these these yeah it's sorry. crazy i mean these fish are being fished um and we're eating that and we're we're done we're, we're, we've now got that plastic in our systems as well <laughs> well this is no, about before about how you know what was the turning point there's a couple of real turning points and i'll explain the story about in vietnam in a second yes um, one of the turning points for people, um, just in our organisation, in, our, in our, the people around us, you know, um, some of our, not so much our retail partners, but our importers like Kingsland, Prince in the UK, for example. One of the things where I really started seeing people going, holy, holy guacamole, that wasn't the word I was going to use, but 
holy, holy hell, this is crazy. The WWF reported about 12 months ago um, that um, there's uh, scientific research back up that all humans, no matter what your diet is, are eating a credit card's worth of microplastic through your diet. It's in your pasta. It's in your vegetables, right? Because the water, what? Yeah, I'll send you the, I'll send you the report. Because anything that requires water is usually got microplastics in it, and whatever that fruit, vegetable, grain, um, seafood, they're absorbing that, and then that's going into our bodies. So the question is, right? And I don't want to be alarmist. What, what, what is that? Those chemicals doing to our evolution, and not obviously. And, and now health, but a credit card's worth of plastic. And where it became, Rolling Stone published the art, Rolling Stone maybe published the article now probably 18 months ago. And I, the WW, um, WWF, you know, if you're not into environmental stuff, you might go, okay, cool. But when Rolling Stones do, do a big article on it um, and, and cite the, 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 the article, it, it's concerning. Credit card of plastic would certainly change my business partner's perspective. Like far out, we've got a problem, and we've got a business, and we're in commerce. We 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 should we should be part of the solution and not the problem. Do you know whether or not that this this plastic passes through our body? Because I I don't think it does, right? I think it just stays in our body. It's like any chemicals that get washed out through your liver. Um, but the, you know, I, I don't know. I'm not a scientist um, on that. But yeah, well. Mindaroo, there's an organ, there's a non-profit in Australia, Mindaroo, and they do a lot of stuff on this. But they're starting to work with the CSIRO on the health effects, the early health effects of microplastics. Um, and when, you know, going back again, what was the tipping point for me? You know, the more I get involved in this, the more we tip up. I, I, I want to turn up the wick um, as a, um, not only education, but what we're doing about the problem is that, um, we, there's there's a hundred companies that are responsible for producing the chemicals that go into making plastics, and um, uh, eighty of them, um, oh, sorry, uh, twenty of them make up eighty percent of the plastics we consume every day. You can't tell me no way. It's not going to do it. But you can't tell me as business and 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 um, a consumer movement that we can't change. The mindset of 20 companies to change 80% of the plastic. You can't change that. It's I believe the solution is very, very fixable. It's certainly not recycling. It's very fixable. If you wanted to fix the plastic problem, it's very simple. Governments, they put a tax on everything else, should put a tax on virgin plastic, then make plastic in circulation more valuable than the virgin material. You change that dynamic and you watch the plastic problem be solved. It's not commercially viable for companies, and nor do I think, funny enough, that companies in the plastic industry, right, should now try and change their consumers or their sorry, their customers' behaviour. It's up to government and also consumers to change that, and that can simply be done with the tax. Like we've got overfishing in the you know might have seen the sea spiracy stuff. We've got overfishing in our oceans, right? Most of that overfishing is subsidised by government subsidies to get cheap seafood into these re- uh, into these retailers. Stop that, and you fix a part of the problem. But it, it, you know that's the frustrating frustrating thing for me. We we've got solutions that we can push big companies to be innovative. We've got the technology, 
but it's just too expensive. That's why most of the, that's why this, I'll tell you another stat. Um, since yeah. 19, uh, 1963, I always get the date wrong, uh, maybe 1946, I was I'm dyslexic. But anyway, since plastic was created, there's only been 9% of plastic recycled. Only of all plastics were created, only 9% of You're plastic which has been so when you when you when you know these type of statistics, and it makes total sense. Yes, it's recyclable. You throw it in your bin. You go, oh, I've recycled. And, and and I feel I feel another reason. I feel robbed thinking to myself that I was always doing the right thing for all these years. Where when it gets to the recycling center, that's just a processing center. It sends it off to someone else to deal with it. And nine times out of ten, they can't. Yeah, that that's actually a really interesting point that you brought up because I've been fairly vocal about my skepticism let's call it uh of yeah. recycling plastic uh and this was actually born out from my love of coffee um and uh, i i'm sure you you know about this whole fiasco that happened with regards to the recyclability of coffee uh disposable cups and straws and the fact that none of them were ever being recycled because of the layer of plastic on the right. inside of the cup um and now, obviously, places like McDonald's and Starbucks have now started to create these paper straws, which don't really work very well because they disintegrate after about 20 seconds. Um, but I've always found it really interesting um, with regards to the ineffectivity of recycling, generally speaking, uh, because one thing that's interesting is that all this waste gets sent over to a recycling centre and there's only a few recycling centres in the entire world, let alone in Europe, that are equipped to deal with things and separate plastics from papers and stuff like that. Uh, so I just wanted to know from you, like, you know, as, as someone who's living and breathing this on a daily basis, someone who's, who's you know, uh, made this a primary goal for their business, why, why do you feel as though that recycling is, is, is not the answer and why we need to look at a tax situation? Yeah, because there's no money in it. And the people we're asking to do it, do it, they're not making. There's no, there's no commerce in it. So it's like everything. Um, and and the, the the replacement once. And if you do recycle it and break it down, the replacement is 15, 20 times more than the virgin material. Um, and in some cases, depends on um, how the, it's been treated. It needs virgin plastic to actually make it into a usable product, a proportion of virgin plastic. Um, but it, that's what it comes down to. So to use your coffee cup um, analogy, I've never, I, I don't understand why you need a straw to drink coffee in the first place. But I totally agree with you. It, yeah. it, it, it ruins the entire experience. Yeah. But yeah, obviously you've got a friend who talks about these um, premium grinders. We come from a culture in Australia um, where we, we, we're fortunate enough to have great coffee and there's a great coffee culture there. Outstanding. Um, it, but I've, I've never put plastic on top of my coffee. I, I found it bizarre that I want to drink. Uh, and people say, oh, I'm on the run. Well, just take take five and drink your coffee. Yeah. You, you probably yeah. need that five minutes to enjoy your coffee and enjoy the experience, then move on. Um, but I've never put plastic on there. But I always like, thought the cups were recyclable until recently, when I say recently, the last three to five years, that I discovered they're not being recycled, right? Because even on the cups, it's got, I'm like, it's paper. It's got the recycling so, thing on there, right? Yeah. And I'm like, why, why would you bring your own cup? And then I looked into it. It's like, because that layer of plastic, it prohibits it being compostable or breaking down. So these, these are the type of things, as you immerse yourself into a culture, you start to, to 
to, to understand it. You know, my wife, when we started really getting behind with, um, and my wife is more environmental to, than us, she's Danish. We've got a very great society of recycling and collecting and the Danes are known for um, being very green. And she was way ahead of me when we met 11 years ago. Um, and when we started getting to, and she used to collect plastic off the beach, you know, every beach we go and she's like taught our kids that she's always collecting plastic everywhere we go. Um, and it's kind of, it was in the, in the, in the beginning, I was kind of embarrassed by it. I'm like, what are you doing now? I'm really proud and we're teaching our kids as well. And, um, but you know, it's really this simple. We need to protect what remains. Most of the positive and negative things that bring about change in human civilization since the start of time starts with someone. Although no one can do everything, but everyone can do something. And, you know, we just come through plastic free, free July, Omar, and it's just don't use plastic water bottles anymore. We, we don't need that. We don't need to consume, especially in countries like we come from in the UK. Just take, just, just carry, just carry this bottle everywhere you need and just take water from the tap. Um, and if you're worried about some, if you're traveling through parts of Europe or the first one you're worried about the water, just take a pH. We don't need it. And I make a joke about it. Um, water bottle companies don't use water. All they produce is plastic. So just start with that. You know, uh, simple things. Start with taking usable bags. These are the little things. You know, don't use straws. Don't use coffee cups. Um, now, there's always an exception to the rule, right? And, you know, but... But if, the, if, if, if you don't have some simple everyday disciplines, then you're going to get nowhere done consistently. It's like, you know, it's, it's, the, it's the brushing your teeth thing. You can brush your teeth for an hour once a week, your teeth will fall out. It's doing something very simple, right? Discipline applied daily with consistency will give you great teeth. And it's the same thing with plastic. And I'm not one of these extremists. And, and I don't think anything should be an extreme, you know, either way. Right. You've got to try and find some balance. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think you're, um, uh, I-, I think that's really sound advice. And, you know, for someone who's so passionate, unfortunately, it does. Mm, how do I kind of put this? It, it, passion can lead to alarmist behavior. I think that's the, the best way that I can, I think that's the best way that I can, I can put it. And I've been a victim of that on numerous occasions. Um, yeah. I became very passionate about uh, global warming and climate change. Um, I mean, you know, th- this this weather we've been having in the UK recently has been really scary for me, uh, to be completely honest. And this global kind of um, uh, weather calamity, this kind of weather crisis we've been having, where we're having, you know, floods in uh, across Europe. We're having floods in London. We're having heat waves at the same time. We're having wildfires we're having record um, uh, temperatures in Canada and the US. We're having record temperatures in the UK. But at the same time, we're having torrential rain. Um, it's the scariest thing that I can possibly think of. Because we can't stop it. We can't control it. No one knows what to do about it. And I started writing blog posts and creating episodes. And I became a bit of a maniac, to be completely honest. Um and it caused this alarmist behavior. So I have a tremendous amount of respect for the fact that you're kind of like, hey, this is what you can do as an individual. Uh, and it's it kind of reminds me of the environmental impact of, of consuming less meat. You know, farming and meat production has a terrible impact on the environment. 
Um, and it doesn't mean that we have to go vegan, but what it does mean is that if you consume about 70% less meat, then you're going to reduce the amount of um, uh, greenhouse gases emitted by something like 85% or something crazy like that. So just a bit of moderation, a bit of uh, a bit of control can have dramatic oh, effect. Spot on. And, 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 and it's like everywhere you look, whether it's... Um, you know, people can say you should just be vegan, but if you if you if you're gonna live a balanced life with fish and, and, and meat and, and vegetables, this goes back to what I was taught as a kid. Go and understand your butcher, understand what they're doing. This selling on price in big slabs of meat to feed the family and chicken, battery chicken, and all this kind of stuff, which we're now learning is just forget about the the environmental thing, just the disease and the poisons we're putting in our body just so we can eat. Now I understand there's an economic um people and economic, but then, then if you, whatever your budget is, then you need to adjust to have a more balanced life. Now, if you're economically struggling or you're on the on the on the lower side, guess what? The diet rich in fruit, and vegetables, and beans and stuff is cheaper than you than your your chemically cheap over overproduced meats and fish or overfished um, produce. So that's the education part, which I think is important. And from our point of view. The, the quality of wine, what we do in the vineyards, our packaging, um, everything we do matters. In our business, we don't lead with that. That's the difference between us and other wine brands. And we're constantly being approached and people, oh, what's your score? And, like, and, we're, and we, we, we're anti-scores and so on. We, we care, we believe strongly in what the product we're making and it, it's got to be the best quality we can make and it's got to be in the advantage of the consumer free, free price. But that's not how we lead. And then with our messaging, we, we, we just want you to, when there's two wines that got 10 pounds on the shelf, this wine's going to remove 10 bottles of plastic and this might have a great environmental thing. It's just giving consumers a choice that when they make that decision with their wallet, that they're making a tangible difference on the ocean. And I, I'm all for 1% for the planet and these type of companies, but what actually ends up making a tangible difference is little. So I encourage a lot more companies to make a difference and go down the path of what we're doing in whatever they think is the right thing for the environment. There's no right or wrong, but so people can easily understand. And our message is one bottle equals 10 out of it, um, out of the uh, 10 plastic bottles out of the ocean. Yeah, be beautifully said, to be completely honest. Uh, you know, I, I, I have to say, Justin, it, it, it's really been very, very interesting talking to you because, you know, at the end of the day, you... I. Greenwashing is a thing, right? Yeah. And, you know, I, I think it's disappointing, to say the least, that, that companies out there and advertisers and marketers are using minute sustainability points um, to create an overall idea that they may be environmentally positive when they're yeah. entirely not. Uh, unless you're talking about someone like Hidden Seas or you're talking about, you know, an industry leader like Patagonia or something like that, right? You know, the, uh, these guys are really um, uh, leading the bunch. And I was recent, I recently did an interview with a, a good friend of mine, Jack Gove. He runs a company called Basic Rights. They're a men's clothing brand. Yeah. Um, oh, mate, you know, you. I, I see you're wearing a black T-shirt. You want to get the best black T-shirt you've ever worn. You've got to go to yeah. Basic Rights. They, uh, yeah. Basic Rights, what's your friend's name again, Jack? Jack Gove. Yeah. I'd, I'd highly recommend listening to that episode, actually. It's a really, really good episode. Uh, one of my personal favourites I've done so far, actually. 
Um, but um, uh, it's 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 it is disappointing. And you know, he he recently told me that Nike Nike uh, are actually doing huge things with regards to s- sustainability, but they're not mentioning any of it because they don't want to be regarded as greenwashing, or they don't want to be regarded as some kind of tree hugging company. Um, you know, so it's it's really fascinating, and to kind of hear from yourself from from a guy who's been brought up in, you know, don't want to sound like a like 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 an asshole or anything, but the right way, um, <laughs> you know, I I I think regardless of your economic position, whether you're in the lower end of earning things or the higher end in earning in earning things, being able to look after your biosphere, your own body, and your own right. environment. Um, is, as far as I'm concerned, earning neutral. Uh, it's n- not correlated to your earning ability. People say and Primark and Boohoo and Shein and all these companies survive because people can't afford other clothes. I disagree with that. It's because people feel as though that they need surplus. That's the only reason. Um, once people understand that instead of buying 20 T-shirts, you only need two, instead of buying, you know... Um, Gosh, instead of buying a bag of 45 fish fingers, which every single fish finger in there has probably got about three grams of plastic in there. Um, you know, in- instead of doing that, all you need to do is you just need to go to the fishmonger for the same price, buy, you know, a couple of fresh fish and learn some cooking skills at home. Once people understand that and, and once people understand how to differentiate great companies from ones that are surrounded with marketing BS... I think that's when we're going to really start to see some beautiful stuff um, blossom and bloom. We've given back from from a long period of time now. We've given back to the ocean since 2015, Omar. And and, and we've given to lots of different organisations. It hasn't been to the last 12 months, the money we've given, the funds we're giving giving to these organisations. And from from our point of view, it's, it's really, really simple. We treat our consumers like our friends, even though we never meet them. I have a responsibility of integrity and doing the right thing. And guess what? Over the period of time, and Patagonia is a great example, no problem, we have a responsibility um, to treat all of our consumers with respect and integrity. You treat your best friend. Um, And eventually um, you'll be found out. Um, And and from our point of view, now that we're in the the process, um, you know, we've got a pretty bold goal that we've put out there. We can, we share with the world that by 20, 2030, we want to remove a billion plastic bowls. Now we're, we're about 5.5 million um, with one year in. So we've a long way to go, but we'll put, our, we'll put ourselves out there and it's very easy to understand what we're doing um, from basically from consumer level to a, a larger corporate level. And yeah, um, we want to be, we want to own the space in mind. We want to be the leader. You know, I think everyone can own us, there'll be one or two brands that can own a certain space. And from our name, the whale, where our vineyards are located, our evolution of the brand and where we're at now with our consumer promise, I, I think we're well along the way. It's going to be hard for someone to come along now and um, try and copy us, and especially because of the, the amount of money we give back. That's what, you know, I put into perspective, Stolly, the vodka, Stolly Gnome Vodka, are copying our message. Every bottle of Stolly, they're going to remove 10 plastic bottles. Lovely. Was, I guess it's a compliment that they're copying our messaging, but think about a bottle of vodka compared to a, nine pound bottle of wine, you know, we're, we're doing three times the amount of plastic that they are for the same price. So, you know, you know, we're committed to it where other businesses will want to show the consumers they're doing the right thing and I'm all for it. No one has to be exactly like us, but the greenwashing 
will get washed out in the long run. That's that's what I believe. Yeah, I think I, th- I think what I have a tremendous amount of respect for what you're doing, Justin, is you're, you're clearly very passionate about this plastic stuff, right? And rightfully so. I think everyone should be. Uh, at the end of the day, you know, climate climate disasters and 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 climate issues are probably one of the biggest. Um, uh, uh, risks to our civilization right now as it stands people think it's stuff like nuclear war and stuff like that i don't think it really is i, I think the biggest risk that we currently have is climate disaster um as we've just seen over the last few months i mean you know this is madness this is absolute madness um you know we saw in your in your in your lovely country uh, only uh, uh, less than a year ago uh these terrible yeah, wildfires yeah these terrible, terrible wildfires that destroyed ecosystems, destroyed habitats of of, of beautiful animals. Um, you know, terrible, terrible thing. So, you know, the, the earth is telling us that there's something wrong. Um, the earth will go on, whether humanity goes on with it. Yeah. And it's, the irony of we talk about nuclear war, um, if, you know, in a period of probably our lifetime if, if things get worse well we'll all have to come together yeah. <laughs> to solve this but maybe maybe it's, it's it's it will be too late um and you know in my lifetime i i, I can clearly see you know um, and especially when i speak to my dad and, and richie speaks to his father people who've lived on the land and understand it you don't need any scientists to come out there and say it's global warming they can see the effect the rainfall the difference in temperature over just one lifetime um, you know, my folks, both of our folks are in their mid 70s, so that, they'll tell you how it's changing. Um, now, um, the problem is, you know, the political environment we now live in, in, in the, dare I say, the Western world, is broken. Um, and we're seeing that Agreed. in the US. And it goes down to, I, I don't want to get into other subjects, but, you know, how you can have constant mass shootings in America and not ban guns, for me, is I, I can't get my head around it. So you're saying that people are killing innocent people with uh, assault rifles, but you're going there's people actually arguing that they've got the right to possess these weapons. Well, you might have the right, but there's a, the system's broken. So if you eliminate all the guns, like they have in Australia and the UK and other parts, of, those things don't exist. And what I'm worried about with the environment, we keep having these calamities, what we just iterated floods in Germany across Europe, the bushfires in Greece and Turkey now, you know, the hot record temperatures, the cyclones in Idaho, um, this mass weather thing. When are we going to say, okay, enough's enough, it's broken, we've got to fix it. And, and I'm worried, I'm, I'm concerned as a citizen that it'll be too late by the time these governments actually do something. Yeah, it's it's it it really is a shame, and like at the at the end of the day, like the, the reaction will be defined by the reaction of those who can actually make a difference. And unfortunately, the people who can only make a difference are the people who haven't got a clue what they're doing. Um, it's it's um it's 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 a it's a harrowing thought. But you know, at the end of the day, I think you know when you've got a former prime minister who said that climate change is a hoax. Um, and you've got um, you've got our current prime minister in the UK, uh, who can't even comb his hair. You know, it, you you don't know what the future is going to look like. To be completely honest, um, it's it's scary, right? It's uh, it's it, it, it's it's tough times. <laughs> and then I mean, I, I, the, the current. I think you said you're twenty five, right? I am. You said twenty five. Yeah. 
yeah, I'm more concerned about you, buddy. <laughs> I know, right? No, it's, it's <laughs> listen, mate. It's, I it's, laugh about it. it's 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 tough times, and you know, I mean, listen, we've even though the current prime minister Joe Biden, you know, sorry, president, excuse yeah. me. Um, uh, Joe okay. Biden, you know, he's doing great things with regards to the, this, you know, green new policy or whatever they're calling it. But I mean, the guy can't even string a sentence together. So I, 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 I don't know what to feel about that, to be completely honest. You know, his heart's in the right place, but can he actually execute? We, 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 we don't know. And that's the problem is that we have these extraordinary decisions that, that need to be made by people who don't understand what the situation is and people who, who aren't willing. The only reason... Elections are, are are essentially popularity contests, as far as I'm concerned. Um, yeah, exactly. You will be elected by an Id through ideas that are popular, not ones that make a difference. Correct. If your ideas Correct. are popular and also make a difference, which is a extraordinarily rare intersection, as far as I'm concerned, one that you barely ever see, which is why we had Donald Trump elected, which is why we have someone like Boris Johnson elected. Um, that's when things are actually going to change. So we need like genuine systemic changes across the world to actually make a difference. And as far as I'm concerned, even though COVID has been terrible, and it really has been, it's been, it's been, you know, real tough time for a lot of people. It's probably been the biggest break that this planet has ever had. Um, you know, for the first time, I think we could actually see satellite images over China. You know, it was uh, yeah. the the, the population that the pollution had decreased so extraordinarily that we could finally see things. You know, the 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 constant pollution over the over the cities was dissipating off for the first time in decades. Extraordinary. Yeah. It's extraordinary, but there's a great. You know, I don't know if you saw the David Attenborough's latest documentary, but you know, the Chernobyl example where the the nuclear plant and how the you know with poison with Hi. <laughs> Rachel is connecting to our call. This is interesting. Um, interesting. So um, Lovely. we'll just continue. Yeah, we'll just continue. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we'll just barter. Um, how, uh, hi, Rebecca. Yeah, um, yes, we've been talking for 52 minutes. <laughs> okay, <perfect. laughs> Thank you. Um, you can just do a little sponsorship there if you like. <laughs> sponsorship break. But um, yeah, and I think the earth will re rejuvenate um, whatever happens to um, civilization over the, next, over the next 100 years or so. Um, so. Yeah, uh, I mean, you know, I think at one side, things are concerning. But then I think on the other side, when I talk to people like yourself, I feel at ease. I And, and, and I, I definitely feel that from my audience as well. Whenever we do an episode around this and we have a discussion around this, I feel like that the unknown, which is our future, which is potentially one of the most disturbing aspects. I mean, we're we're worried about things in the next five to ten years when we don't even know if we're going to be around in the next five to ten years you know it's um it's it's perplexing stuff i feel as though that we have bigger issues at hand to make sure that we're around in five ten twenty thirty years to actually make decisions 
in 5, 10, you know, 20, 25, 30 years time. But it's it's truly inspiring and motivating that there are people out there like yourself, Justin, who are not only endeavoring and focusing on creating a great product and the product that you've chosen is wine, but to do it in the right way. And I, I think that's important. You know, there are so many possibilities out there now for people to to get to market is a really fairly easy job nowadays, particularly with the internet. You know, you don't need to be in a retailer. You don't need to do all these different things. You don't need amazing distribution. All you need is an interesting marketing campaign, a snazzy brand, you know, um, a pretty face like yourself. You know, it always helps. Uh, so, <laughs> um, Luckily, this is a podcast, mate. I've always been talking to people. Mate, I, I, I appreciate that, but I think we've got a responsibility to the next generation. But at the end of the day, um, no matter where you're from in the world, and I won't bring in racial religion yet, but we're all citizens of the world. Um, there's only one ocean. Um, we're all made from the same materials, and guess what? We all revert, revert back to the same material. Mm. Um, so we have an important role to play, um, and we're all and we're all continue, we have an important role to play in our ocean because we're all interconnected by the world's ocean. So that's my view. Yeah, and I, I, you know what, a very, uh, a very admirable view as well, and one that I hope that many, many more people start to share. Um, you know, at the end of the day, we can all try and play our own part, um, be it small or big. Um, but I think that the important thing is is spreading of information, um, spreading of education, and for people to have an open mind and to recognize validity of source, I think is really important. Um, and putting more products on the shelves that consumers understand the tangible difference that they're making. Yes. You know, if you love wine, um, we, we say, as I said, who's it for? We're for socially conscious consumers. We make wine that matters for people that care. Um, we want to give people a, 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 an opportunity and we take a considerable amount of our profit back in, in, in making it different. And as I said earlier, we're a for-profit business, but not at the expense of humanity. And believe it or not, in some markets, uh, the UK, we actually run it as a, that market currently runs at a loss for us. But our values are so strong. We don't change our values of supermarket and the, and the price we can command from our market. We, we stick to our values. And then we hopefully that we'll, one day we'll uh, make profit out of that particular market, but not at the expense of humanity. And they're the values like the Patagonians of the world, which I look up to, um, I think, instilled in all their employees and and they live and they manage their company by and we have an obligation to do that too and the more companies like the hidden sea patagonians of the world um, um and they don't need to do everything but have those strong values um the world will be a better place uh, i totally agree and um you know i have to say i am looking forward to a future where you know the hidden seas is is regarded in the same in in, in the same breath the same sentence as the patagonians of the world uh, and I definitely feel as though that you guys are kind of on that trajectory. Um, and it's it's fabulous to talk to a founder who you can, for me, I'm, I'm fairly different than most consumers. I have a opportunity, which is amazing, and I'm very grateful for it, to be able to talk to founders, to be able to talk to owners, to talk to people who created the company. And I can't tell you how many people I talk to who are sustainably minded, but yet know nothing about the environment. Um, 
Yeah. Uh, and you can tell that it's something that they've been media trained to talk about as opposed to something that they're passionate yep. about. Um, and that's disturbing for me. I won't discourage them uh, to continue talking about the environment and to be passionate and to pretend to be passionate about it. And I think that's a good start. But it's truly refreshing to talk to people like yourself, uh, Justin, and, uh, you know, your heart's clearly in the right place. You have done extraordinarily well, five million bottles so far. Um, and yeah. you have uh, adventurous goals, let's call it. Um, yeah. But, um, you. you know, it's um, uh, you. extremely admirable. If you knew Richie and, and, and um, Richie must, uh, well, um, Richie's going to say, leave yourself without recourse. Um, I don't, like, I try to live by that effort. I get myself into trouble every now and again. But from our point of view, we have a responsibility to our families and our staff that we were going to do something that we want to be a leader in it. We want to make a real tangible difference. Um, and as I said, to get to that simple promise, um, one bottle equals 10 plastic bottles out of the ocean, it took us five full years with working in NGOs and so on. It took us, that was a commitment. And our brand never made any money along the way. It hasn't made any money since the inception of the hidden sea. Um, that goes back to our overall corporate strategy where it fitted in the business. But our long-term goal was to make a tangible difference, uh, have a high purpose um, that, you know, that we could be mentioned, you know, I say it, in the same conversations with companies like Patagonia, but it wasn't for profit in the beginning. It was for creating a company and a brand that had a higher purpose that people could buy into and feel a part of something bigger than themselves. And it's taken, as I said, well, we're six years now as a brand because we've completed one year of our new messaging, but it took five years of basically failing over and over again, trying to work out what's important and doing the research. And as you would have, with your experience, and yet obviously you are fortunate to speak to a lot of founders, there's no silver bullet. It's just absolute consistency or discipline, consistency, courage for the values that we all need. And, and that last one is consistency. Um, and we will um, rid the ocean of plastic um, 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 while I'm alive anyway. Yeah, uh, I mean, you know, fantastic words, I have to say, and I couldn't have said it better myself. Um, you know, it's it, I, I think that plastic waste does need to be spoken about significantly more. There needs to be more education out there with regards to this. Um, and yeah, I, th I think with the education, I think people are going to start realizing what companies are the real deal and which ones aren't. Um, you know, which ones are actually making a difference and which ones are doing it just so you buy their product. Um, I do feel as though, and I don't know if you see it the same way, but I do see that you guys are having what I like to call the Tesla effect, um, where... <laughs> Like that compliment. Thank you, mate. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that that's kind of where I see it going is because, you know, I, I, I feel as though that with, I think there's an interesting kind of intersection with regards to, you know, alcoholic products not necessarily being regarded as, let's call it socially responsible uh, in, in most regards, but yet finding yeah, an intersection of social responsibility between the product consumption and the brand itself i think that's really interesting and i can see particularly for my generation this millennial generation um coming up that are more sustainably minded they want to know that is my money going to a good place 
Uh, and uh, I don't know if you saw recently, but, you know, pe people are kind of saying that, oh, this new generation or the ninja generation, you know, no income, no job, no assets, whatever it is, right? This is this is the biggest load of BS I've ever heard because, you know, statistics came out that the largest uh, percentage of homeowners now are between the ages of 23 and 35. Really? Yeah. Okay. So in yeah. fact, we are the wealthiest generation to ever come along, the most entrepreneurial yeah. generation to ever come along, ones with the most disposable income ever in the in the history of humanity. So in fact, you know, we are probably the most um, fortunate generation, particularly in this technological era. And where we have this disposable income, we want to know, is our money going in the right place? Are we going to, to help things or are we investing in regression? Um, so the reason why I regard this Tesla effect thing, right, is because people aren't going to stop drinking alcohol. You know, that's right. never going to happen. Um, but what will happen is people, consumers will start to cotton on to the fact that there are some um, uh, uh, beverage companies out there that are not doing very good for the environment. Uh, it's fairly destructive. Maybe they're not treating their workers in the right way. Maybe the brewing techniques are a bit dodgy or whatever it might be, right? Uh, I'm not an expert on the matter, but I feel as though what's going to happen is as this gets more exposure, as people start to learn more about what you're doing and stuff, there's brands that are just going to want to jump on board um, for the fact of not because maybe they care about the environment, but because they just want to increase their profit margins. They want to sell more. They want to connect more. And we're seeing Daimler do that with uh, the guy that own the guys that own Mercedes with electric cars. They don't care about the environment. Of course they don't. You know, they, 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 they duped us all into the bloody uh, into fake catalytic converters. You know, Volkswagen, they're still producing cars that cheat the uh, that, that cheat the emissions test. But yet they've managed to convince us that they care about the environment by creating electric vehicles. And that's to Nike point. You know, there's companies like Nike who, who are probably being burned in the past before the, the things that have done wrong. And to hear what you, you comment about Nike doing the right thing and not promoting it. That's the right way to go about it. Where you know the example is, everyone wants to be have an electric car now. Well, yeah, they don't care about. They haven't kept the technology has been there for many years. They haven't cared about it until the Tesla. You, you pointed out the Tesla effect comes along and and that and, and they don't lead the way. You know, if, you know. I just, I, I just, it, it's really, it's, it's not, it's not hard for me. It's just about doing the right thing. Um, and doing the right thing when no one's looking um, yeah. and that's that's probably what we try to do as an organization as much as possible and that's in our dna and our staff and you know if you got went back you know 12 18 months ago there'd be questions that would come to me about what are we doing here in this juncture now it's like our values are instilled and in what we're trying to do with our mission it, 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 it would always be now to move to the to the to do what's right for the environment and then we'll work out the cost later or you know just little things with shipping and packaging and who we use logistics and how we get our wine around um it's yeah it's it's a philosophy it takes time to develop um, um but yeah amazing amazing honestly justin i have to say you know it's it's truly been an absolute pleasure uh to be able to talk to you about this and to to learn about yourself and you know why you're doing what you're doing and your brand as well, Hidden Seas. It's been, it's, it's, it's really been an education for me today. And, um, 
you know, I've, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. And, and guess what? No cats died in, in the process either. No cats have died. <laughs> no cats have died. None whatsoever. And no spirits either. No, no spirits, exactly. Um, um, uh, I, I joke to my business partner, if it all goes bad and, we, and it doesn't work out for us, well, at least we've got some wine to drink. Before, I've got one thing really important to ask you, but you, you mentioned a point before and I wanted to bring this up. People, um, there's a big wave. You said alcoholic products um, are never going to go away. I don't agree. I, I, I better for you alcoholic products like wine. I think wine's drunk in moderation is good for you. Now, there's studies either way. But in my view, um, uh, connecting people with, with wine and food together around a table, there's no better stress release. Now, like everything, if you drink too much wine or eat too much food, it's not good for your health. But that environment of bringing people together, being social beings with a glass of wine um, or two um, and good food is the essence of life. And people talk to me about um, alcohol-free wine and we're, or, or they talk to me about other environmental things. And it starts from our vineyard for us and all the way through to what we do with our profits. And I mentioned that before. Now, if we're serious about the environment and however, um, um, there's a trend towards no alcohol or low alcohol wines, um, which is the growth is, is a real thing in our category. Well, it takes six litres of water to make one litre of alcohol-free wine. Now, for me, we've talked about it, I've been approached by retailers, our market partners. For me, when the trials are, we can make it, when we're wasting six litres of water when there's other parts of the world who have no clean drinking water, to sell a product, to push a message or to fill a gap, for me, it doesn't feel right. Um, and, the, and everyone's going, oh, it's good and better for you. Yeah, yeah, the calories are still more than Coke, right? Coca-Cola. And I'm like, yeah, but what about just drinking less wine you know, isn't that the better option? And say, oh, I want to drink wine, but no alcohol. I want to feel social. So there's all, everything we do, we look at and we think, okay, what's the, that's not worry about the oceans. What's the environmental impact? And does it fit into our values? And and you'll see a big trend in the coming 12 months in, um, and on alcohol-free wine, but it takes six litres to, to de-alkalise a wine of water, just tip down the drain. And that's not sustainable in any I don't believe to make a product um, to, to form a product that, that, that the consumers might want. Um, big question: Have you tried that one? Did, did Becca send you any wine? No, no, I haven't um, uh, as of yet. So I, I, I personally don't drink alcohol, um, uh, and that's just a personal. <laughs> but that's just a personal health kind of decision that I've made. Um, it's, it's interesting because where, where you kind of mentioned this whole thing with regards to kind of the health aspect of of alcohol, there, there, there is an interesting thing. So I spoke to a fellow Aussie. Um, I don't know if you know him, Mark Livings. Uh, he's the owner of a company called Liars. Um, cool stuff they are doing. Uh, honestly, like really cool stuff. L-Y-R-E-S. You know Seedlip? Huh? Seedlip. Uh, they are a non-alcoholic gin company. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Um, 
uh, they, they're kind. Liars are like seed lip, but better. As far as I'm concerned, I've 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 had both, and um, uh, they they are doing some really really cool stuff. Uh, but I I. I yeah, as well, lies. Yeah, it's it's uh, L Y R E S. Yeah, but non-alcoholic spirits. Yeah, non-alcoholic. Yeah, so everything's non-alcoholic, and essentially what they do is they take well-known drinks and they try and make them non-alcoholic by instead of removing the alcohol, they kind of start from the beginning without alcohol. Um, gotcha. Yeah, which is which is fairly interesting, and uh, some of the drinks I've had are pretty dodgy, to be fair, but um, it's uh, most of them are lovely. Uh, but I, I, I've done quite a bit of research into this, and you're right, there is a split uh, with regards to the health benefits. And for, for me, with regards to genuine scientific evidence, uh, that there is no evidence to suggest that any consumption of any amount of ethanol, uh, which is the only type of alcohol that is included in alcoholic beverages, is beneficial to you. However, for people who are accustomed to, to, to drinking a small amount of wine a day or any alcoholic beverage a day or a week or whatever it might be, that, in a similar way a cigar does, triggers a, a, a serotonin release. Uh, and that can be deemed to be very healthy and very helpful for an individual with regards to cortisol shuttling, cortisol being the stress hormone. Um... So that in itself could be an interesting thing, and that has been scientifically proven. So the serotonin release of people who are used to drinking wine in a particular setting, like you said, around the dinner table, um, which helps the shuttling of cortisol out of the muscle. Uh, a similar way that um, uh, when, you're, when you're exercising uh, and your muscle becomes full of lactic acid, uh, taking a supplement like creatine, um, helps to shuttle that lactic acid out of the muscle. Wine works in the same way with stress. The same way I, I enjoy cigars. I, 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 I have cigars fairly regularly. Um, and for me, a cigar has an extraordinary relaxing uh, effect on me because of that ability to trigger serotonin and to shuttle that cortisol out of the system and to reduce activity of the pituitary gland, which is essentially what's releasing cortisol into the body. So, yeah. Beautiful. Beautifully articulated, and you're right to, to the ethanol part. You're 100% right. And I was referring to the, the, the health benefits, yes. read the psychological health benefits. You, you, I wish I could bowl that and, uh, and repeat that, but that's exactly what, what wine does. And that's why it in introduced the food and family and friends around the table um, and that you know, breaking of bread, so to speak, with wine and, that, and how it relaxes your body. Um, yeah, you've you got the spot on. Um, um, yeah. Um, but so what I'll do, if you can send me an email after this, I would love to still, I know you don't drink. Um, I'm sure you have I do indeed. friends that drink. <laughs> but, even, but even if you give out a lot of my gifts, just remember that every time we give you, you give a bottle away, we we'll remove 10 plastic bottles out of the ocean. So hopefully that gives you the right. Of um, course. Like of course. Um, um, but I, I find it interesting that I don't, I, I don't, enjoy um, smoking or cigars or that's just not my thing but i could just imagine you know um alcohol and a cigar with actually even more <laughs> whether it's a scotch or a wine oh yeah uh, i mean i've i've I, I did a um there's an episode coming out i think in a couple of weeks with a pro listen i i think i've got a pretty good radio voice right um but 
I have a um, a colleague of mine called Eddie Sahakian, and this guy puts me yeah. to shame. Um, you know, his voice is just so deep and rich and relaxing. And, you know, I'm sure instead of having a glass of wine, just listen to this guy's voice for about five minutes and it will have the same effect on you. Um, just truly the, 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 the loveliest guy. And uh, he, he's, he's the son of the owner of Davidoff of London. Um, okay. yeah. Um, his father is, uh, extremely famous in the cigar world and, uh, I've been very lucky yeah. to be one of the few kind of media personalities to be able to interview them. Uh, I think there's about three people who are allowed to do it. I'm the fourth. Um, so it's, uh, I've, I'm, I'm very fortunate to be able to do so, but, uh, I've done a blog with them and I also did, uh, done an, I've also done an episode with Eddie as well. And it's uh, really interesting because he does drink and he explained to me that the feeling of having a scotch or you know anything with 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 that that matches the body of the cigar is you know ethereal it's just it brings you to just a different level of relaxation it's extraordinary it just ignites the senses in ways that you've you've never experienced before it's very interesting yeah i could imagine so mate i really appreciate the opportunity to come on the podcast um i really enjoyed the conversation you and you are very soothing with your voice. You have got a very good radio voice. So uh, please send me a note after this. I look forward to listening to the podcast I've done and I look forward to you um, receiving the wine in the um, next few days, mate. That's very, very kind of you. Thank you so much, Justin. Again, I really appreciate your time. And uh, yeah, it's been, it's truly been a pleasure. I'm looking forward to having you back in the future as well. I think it'll be fun. Let's check in in 12 months or so and we'll see how the journey's going. Thank you.